to me, this could represent for a community, you know, the, the dove flying in with an olive branch after the flood signaling, no, there is dry land ahead. Because having a community TEDx event is a big sign of normalcy. I think every one of us will have a sigh of relief knowing that those are back. And then offer them within those events tools and understandings and assistance that can really help a community come back from a very difficult place. Hello, TEDx organizers. I'm Jay Harati, and welcome to Solving for X, our podcast for the TEDx community. Today, I'm here with Guy Winch, who is a world-famous psychologist, author, three-time TED speaker, and the host of the podcast, Dear Therapists. Guy's here to share with us his wisdom about how TEDx organizers can begin to plan for a world beyond the pandemic. In this conversation, you'll hear about strategies for how you, as a TEDx organizer, can bring healing to your community and events that instill hope and resilience. Thank you for joining us. Let's dive right in. Guy, welcome to Solving for X. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. It's so good to hear your voice. Uh, just to set the stage, you and I live just a few blocks away from each other in New York City. We're recording this not together, even though we're quite close. Wish we could do this in person, but it's, it's good to reconnect. It does feel like old times. Almost. Kind of. Uh, maybe... We should just get started by just give us a perspective of what you think has been the emotional health and mental health toll from almost a year of this pandemic here in the U.S., obviously, what, what you know best, but really kind of across the world. So actually, I think that we are still unaware fully of what that toll is because we're still in the midst of it. There, yes, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But I think regardless of where you are, everyone has experienced certain emotional wounds for some traumas that are shared in this pandemic. Number one, we all lost our normal way of life, everyone, to some extent for some time. You were filled with anxiety or really kind of should have been um, about what's happening. Many lost their jobs, many lost their health and some lost their lives, quite a few. And so the impacts were inescapable, I think, for all. And it was the first time really, I think, in modern history that the entire world faced a similar foe and were going through some similar psychological, emotional trauma, essentially, that didn't involve a war, that didn't involve, you know, good guys and bad guys. We were all on the same side. We were all fighting the same invisible foe. And you typically don't see the whole world experiencing that kind of psychological blow at once. Hmm. And while this might be the light at the end of the tunnel, we still got a few months of that to go. Do, do you think we'll be seeing um, even more things that we, are, we have not yet experienced? Well, I think what we're starting to see now is people are losing patience. And so there are people who just want it to be over and are engaging in the wishful thinking of I'm just going to pretend it is and not wear a mask and go and meet friends and go on business as usual. And that only works for a short amount of time before you or someone around you is going to get sick and get the reminder that mm -hmm. it's not business as usual. But mm -hmm. pandemic fatigue is a real thing. People 
can only be on high alert for so long psychologically. You get tired of it. You have to adapt to it. And we're very adaptable creatures. So we get used to the high alert and then it doesn't seem so high anymore. And then our guard goes down and then we start changing our behaviors in ways that aren't very conducive to personal and public health and safety. So I think you're seeing a lot of the fatigue right now, and we're going into a winter in the Northern Hemisphere, at least, in which for Europe, for America, for many other countries, things are in a second wave, third wave, getting bad again. And people will have to go through another hump before they really start to, you know, do the final lap, before they really start to kind of see the end. And my concern is for this winter is that people are already frayed in their resilience and their ability to tolerate and their patience. And I'm just worried that it might be a long winter in that sense. Hmm. And it certainly will. And, you know, in addition to what you're describing, uh, when certain people give up on, on being disciplined, it creates discord and disagreement and distrust within communities and all that. So for sure, it has been a very difficult last eight months or so. But let's try and take our eyes today towards spring and maybe summer. The rollout of vaccines is going to be different across the world, but let's imagine a world that's beginning to return. What do you think it's going to take to heal ourselves and the world around us from the effects of this pandemic? I think it's going to take leadership. And I don't mean presidential leadership, necessarily prime ministerial leadership. I mean community leadership. Because communities have suffered, communities are depressed, and I mean emotionally depressed, certainly maybe financially, but I think that, and I'm saying this because we're talking to TEDx organizers who by definition are leaders of sorts in their communities. You cannot organize a TEDx event without having significant leadership qualities because you actually have to get people to come and speak at it and you actually have to get people to come listen to them. That takes mm. a leader. It will require people to be models for their communities, to help lead the way out, to help lead the way back to normalcy, to help present hope and heal the divides. The real, I think, thing that's been most difficult about this pandemic is that it's frayed relationships within friendships, within families, within communities significantly. I gave a talk to nurses in May, and in the Q&A, one nurse said to me, What do I do with the fact that I am risking my and my family's life on a daily basis and then I go on social media and I see my family members not wearing masks and I feel like they're stabbing me in the back? How do I get over that? Hmm. These are the feelings a lot of people are having. It's frayed relationships and that's why it's going to take leadership and leaders within communities because what we need now is to bring people together. Hmm. So if you're a TEDx organizer, you want to be bringing healing to your community and you want to start with yourself. What can you share with them that will help them for the work ahead? Well, I think that TEDx organizers are in a really lucky position, truly, because we know that the one thing that helps people recover from trauma, from big loss is to find meaning, to find a sense of mm. purpose, to go through it, but to feel like that gave me a new perspective and it gave me a new sense of purpose and motivation. Organizing a TEDx event in your community 
it literally is the kind of task, the kind of goal, that can truly give you the sense of purpose and a sense of giving to your community. And for the community, knowing that an event is being planned for the late summer or the winter or even in a year, whenever it is. I know these things take a long time to plan, so mm. I doubt you can whip it together in three months. But, but you start the planning now, and the people around you know, and the people around you know that this is coming. To me, this could represent for a community, you know, the, the dove flying in with an olive branch after the flood signaling, no, there is dry land ahead mm. because having a community TEDx event is a big sign of normalcy. I think every one of us will have a sigh of relief knowing that those are back and then offer them within those events tools and understandings and assistance that can really help a community come back from a very difficult place. You know, communities are excited when there's a TEDx um, in their uh, community. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's an honor. It's exciting. It's fun. They're often local people, which they can support, um, and and some you know uh, big names, which they can support. It does bring people together, and hmm. and it represents something because it represents um, a sense of normalcy. It represents like you know TED. The brand is this is about ideas, and TEDx is about spreading them among communities, and so it's a very symbolic act to set up a TEDx event, to organize a TEDx event at this time going forward, knowing how necessary it will be by the time it's allowed to happen. Hmm. Do you have a sense, I mean, I know you are not a, a curator of topics, but if you are a TEDx organizer, you listen to this and you go, okay, I'd like to start imagining how to bring healing to my community. How am I going to curate this year's event? What what topics can I bring? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't talk about the damn pandemic anymore. Uh, what, what do we bring? What speakers we invite? What do we tell our speakers? How, how would you be thinking about the job of curating with um, a mental health lens on it? So here are the elements that I would include. This is, Jay, very personal to me. Yep. And I don't mean like this is personal, personal. I mean, this is just my own thought. Yeah, it's not necessarily and most curation is very personal. So okay, excellent. Then here we are. Then here's my thought. I would include at least one nurse, at least one frontline health worker who's been through it. And I know that it needs to have a variety, but I think you can go through a process in curation where you kind of track the emotional path that people were going through. With the first talk, having, you know, the nurse or the physician or whatever it is speak early on, then bring in a mental health expert to talk about some of these things, then bring in somebody to talk about the innovation in design that happened because, you know, there have been so much innovation in so many fields because of the pandemic and the stay-at-home. People have been very creative. Let's bring some of those elements in. Let's bring some elements in of hope and what bring people together and stories that are heartwarming. And let's, at the end, pivot to the next big fight, which is climate change. So that would be my curation. Yeah, you can steal it. I'm giving it to you. Yeah, anyone can steal it. That's my <laughs> well, idea. I can steal it, or you can request a license for your own <laughs> TEDx event, guy, <laughs> because I know that I would come to this event. And 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 would you be coaching the speakers in any different way? You know, it's one of those. It's one of those like you start with. Let's honor the trauma that we've experienced and bring in the people who were frontline here. How would you coach them to speak? Is it relive it or extract something out of it? Any thoughts on that? 
Again, I'm going to refer back to that talk I gave to nurses. One of the questions I had was like, yeah, everyone's ringing bells for us at seven o'clock. That's all very nice. But once the pandemic is over, we just go back to being nurses again and no one cares. How do we make sure people remember what we've sacrificed? And my response to them was, um, it's been a um, hundred years since World War II. And every year, some World War II movies winning an Oscar for something still. In other words, no one's forgetting. Why? Because there's so many stories to tell. People keep finding new stories to tell, and the stories are very compelling. So my answer to the nurses was, tell your stories. Tell them to anyone. Tell them to everyone. Keep telling the stories, because we haven't really heard them. We hear a little bit. There's one nurse we hear in the news here. One is upset there. She doesn't have PPE. But there's so many stories. I've worked with some of these nurses personally. They're dramatic movie Oscar worthy <laughs> stories in some ways, tell those stories. And I think that that should be the coaching that you are telling the story of what you went through. But generally, I have to say, Jay, I, I, I really feel that TEDx, from the ones I've seen, and I've you know, seen quite a few, the, the coaching is really good. People are supposed to give an engaging, interesting talk that, you know, has an idea that makes a point that touches people. It would be the same instruction. I don't think we need to fix TEDx. I think that is great. I think we just need to apply it. Talk directly to the TEDx organizers as individuals. They are community leaders and are eager to bring healings and solutions and hope to their communities, but they're individuals as well. Their world has been disrupted. They're all volunteers, so they're going through a lot of things themselves. How do you, as an individual, resource yourself first so you can be present for this monumental task of healing a community? So I really believe that leaders have a responsibility to the people they lead, but also to themselves, because you cannot lead if you're broken. And so there is a responsibility you have as a TEDx organizer to take stock of how you're doing, to take stock of where you are hurting or where you feel traumatized or where you're grief and loss are still echoing in your own ears. First, you have to take stock, and then you have to address those wounds yourself. You have to do some work to heal. Now, I'm saying that part of that work can be potentially organizing a TEDx event, but there are many ways to heal, and that's just one of them. Obviously, you know, um, mm. talking with people, processing, sharing. So much of what we went through is shared, especially in communities. So finding people who've been through what we've been through shouldn't be that difficult in this. This is not a rare event. It's an extraordinarily you know, shared one. So you should really take the steps to heal what you need to heal for yourself so that you can clear off enough emotional well, bandwidth, really, to devote to a huge undertaking, which, let's be clear, TEDx organization is a big, big undertaking. <laughs> you need a lot of emotional reserves for it. You need to make sure you have those reserves. So you need to be nurturing. You need to be self-compassionate. You need to be really good to yourself and listen to what your emotional needs are and address them so that you can be there as much as possible for the task ahead. Are there any kind of one or two tips that you share with people who actually want to do that, kind of address their own mental health ahead of a task like a TEDx event. Something that's maybe easier than like finding a th therapist and going to see them every week, which might not be within everybody's reach for various reasons. What are you advising people? 
So it, it depends on what the thing is that you're addressing. I'll just go through a few of them. So let's talk about, um, you know, uh, grief, for example. Grief is not just about, oh, I know someone who died from COVID or from other circumstances during COVID. A lot of us have been through anticipatory grief, that worry that our elderly parents are going to get sick and die. People almost start mourning ahead of time. It's called anticipatory grief. And you might not realize it, but that deep sadness you have about, oh, I haven't seen my parents. I'm not going to be able to see them. And it's not just you miss them, because you might not necessarily see them more often if there weren't a pandemic, but you worry for them. You start imagining what would happen if they got sick, and then we almost start a grieving process. So one mm. thing to do there is to really uh, apply gratitude exercises to really take stock of what you have, to really take stock of, you know, to really be grateful for the fact that you didn't lose your parents if you didn't, that they are still alive and well, that, you know, that the light is here at the end of the tunnel or that it's visible in the distance. And so far, you've been okay. You've made it out healthy. You perhaps haven't lost your job. Gratitude is a hugely curative exercise if done correctly. And, and done correctly means really contemplate, meditate on that thing that you're grateful for. Meditate about, wow, I'm really lucky. I know this person whose parents didn't do so well, and I'm really fortunate mine did, or I'm really lucky my family members, no one got sick. So gratitude is one thing, uh, you mm -hmm. know, in those kinds of ways. Um, loneliness is another thing. A lot of people have been very isolated, either truly physically isolated from people, have not seen people. I know a lot of people who have not really hugged another person in many, 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 many months. And that's a very, very difficult thing. And so even if you can't yet connect physically, you can connect emotionally, but that has to be intentional. That means that you really are looking to talk with people, take socially distance walks, even have like Zoom drinks after work with people, but to really not just bullshit, not just chit chat have you know mm. share some feelings share some hopes share some fears that's the kind of thing that makes us feel connected you know like do something that makes you really feel connected to the person that has to be intentional and purposeful because we are stressed and when we're stressed we're much more likely to talk about you know the 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 smaller things because that's less emotional labor than actually diving into how we actually feel about things so mm. connecting when you felt disconnected or lonely is very, very important. I'll just give one quick um, other example, and that's anxiety. Anxiety is something we've all been through because it was highly anxiety-provoking, this whole situation. And what anxiety does is it makes us avoid that which makes us anxious. And so a lot of people, for example, who are um, you know, un under lockdown, when lockdowns were eased, were still really anxious about leaving the house still really anxious about even interacting with people in a social distance with masks because they just, their avoidance kind of supersized their anxiety. Some people were asked to come back to work and really had panic attacks in the parking lot because they were like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't go into mm -hmm. the building. So to the extent that you've had a lot of anxiety, you really need to make sure you're not engaging in avoidance, that you are trying to put yourself out there in a safe and contemplated way, but not in an avoidant way. We're going to have to go back to life at some point, to all of it. And so you don't want to be an anxious mess and someone who just like, no, I can't stomach the thought. I'm just going to keep working remotely for the rest of my life and having all my groceries ordered in and maybe I'll see another person in 2030. I don't know. It, not a good <laughs> idea. 
And so you have to battle anxiety by not giving in to the impulse to avoid and to just hide because it just makes the anxiety worse. Thank you. I know there's probably more. You touched on three emotions and, and potential ways to address them. I just want to share one reflection on each. Um, so on dealing with grief, with um, some gratitude, I am a big advocate of that. I write a gratitude journal every single morning. Love it. First thing I do when I wake up. And now if I if something happens and I can't do it, like my date literally feels off. So mm. if you haven't tried it, get a nice notebook and nice pen. It, it has become so valuable for me during the last year. Yeah, and Jay, there's so much uh, research really behind it too, right? I mean, this is really one of those science-based things. There's so much research that shows exactly that thing that you do of journaling about it every morning is so curative. Yeah, and it's it's so important to start with the words I am grateful for, mm -hmm. and then it really forces you, like, because there's a lot of things I couldn't complain about. So that was one thing I wanted to say on on uh, loneliness and and seeking to connect meaningfully. I just want to remind TEDx organizers here, if you haven't done so already, our community has really come together in a beautiful way. So join along. It's very active uh, on the hub, on Facebook. There are various uh, virtual meetings as well, and and be sure that. You keep up with TED Circles. TED Circles has provided really good ways for people to come together and have meaningful conversations, even if they can't leave the house. And the third thing, uh, Guy, that you mentioned on being an anxious mess, I am an anxious mess. <laughs> I, no, I, I just want to acknowledge that I've, 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 when you describe it, I'm like, this is exactly me because I still find myself washing my hands and, and sanitizing things as obsessively as I did in March. Uh, so that is something that I still strive to work on uh, as well. But anyway, these are these are great tips. Uh, thank you. I'll use them. I hope uh, TEDx organizers use them as well. What if as a TEDx organizer, you think, okay, I'm burned out. What can you say on that right now when you speak to a TEDx organizer? Well, if anyone feels burnt out, or overly exhausted or depleted, it's indicating that the balance of self-care to energy and emotional energy expenditure is lopsided, that there's just not enough self-care going on. And yes, when there's so many stresses around us, we actually need to balance that with being way more conscientious and way more proactive about our self-care. So if you're feeling burnt out, it's actually a state of mind in which you're not the best judge of what you truly connected to, because when you're burnt mm. out, you're not truly connected to anything. And so you can't really judge how you'll feel when you're not burnt out. So the first order of business is address the burnout. And that means you need to nourish yourself. You need to find those things that make you feel like you and invigorate you. And we all have those things that we do that we go into that state of flow where we lose sense of time and we're so absorbed and we're so replenished by the task, whatever the task is. You know, the task that makes us feel like us. And for many people, they've been prohibited from doing, you know, this one's a soccer player, but their team hasn't been meeting. And this one does group fitness, but there is no group fitness. And this one likes to hike waterfalls, but there aren't any around and they can't travel. So what can you do to mimic that? What can you do to get a bit of that? What can you do to feel a little bit like the old you in a way that feels good to you? These are very important ways to kind of restore and balance out a sense of burnout when we have it. So first take care of the burnout, then ask yourself what you really feel up to. Great advice. I'm going to switch gears and uh, talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know that you've 
come to the TEDx community in 2014 with a now very famous talk in a TEDx event in Sweden. You know, we sustain psychological injuries even more often than we do physical ones, injuries like failure or rejection or loneliness. And they can also get worse if we ignore them, and they can impact our lives in dramatic ways. And yet, even though there are scientifically proven techniques we could use to treat these kinds of psychological injuries, we don't. It doesn't even occur to us that we should. Oh, you're feeling depressed. Just shake it off. It's all in your head. Can you imagine saying that to somebody with a broken leg? Oh, just walk it off. It's all in your leg. Can you talk a little bit about what giving a talk at a TEDx event meant for you back then and, and everything that happened since? And how would you translate that to a kind of a, a message to a TEDx organizer or a speaker who will be participating in an event in the coming months? So what I told myself when I was writing and delivering that talk, and this is what I always tell myself, I never say to myself, oh, this is going to help millions of people. All I say to myself was that, I am sure there is at least one person who really needs, can really benefit from what I have to say. I am going to be talking to that person. And then what I would do, just my own little device, is I would find somebody in the audience. I would look for the people. And sometimes, you know, when you're looking at an audience, you have the nodders, I call them, the people who nod along because they're <laughs> listening intently, love the nodding. And so I will imagine I'm speaking to that one person, but that that person really needs this advice. So it mm -hmm. feels personal to me. I'm there because I really want to help this one person, because I'm saying to myself, this one person really needs to hear this from me. And you, once you do that, you know, uh, any audience is a representative sample. So if there was one person, it really helped the many thousands and potentially millions of those it would. I know that I've received thousands of messages from that TEDx talk about how people have been impacted by it. I receive them still. That's just one talk. So for speakers mm. and for TEDx organizers to convey to speakers, the message is you can really impact people's lives. Jay, just last week, I got a message on Instagram uh, that said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I saw your talk. You may have saved my life. That was it. It was very brief. Don't know why. Don't know how. Didn't even say which talk, frankly. But um, wow, that was nice. I mean, that was impactful. It just reminded me wow. that this is powerful stuff that the, you know, when you're a TEDx organizer, you're a little bit more worldly. You're familiar with talks. You're familiar with all those things. But many people, they're hearing this for the first time. They need it. They don't know it. They could really use it. And that's the mindset you should go into when you're organizing. And that's the mindset you should have as a speaker, that you have a platform now that can truly touch people, whether intellectually, whether emotionally, in any kind of way. And it's a privilege. And take advantage of it. Write a talk, deliver a talk that's really going to touch people, because it will. Thank you for all the uh, advice and wisdom you've shared. Um, I don't have any more questions. Is there anything else you'd like to tell to the TEDx community? Yeah, you know, if there's one thing I would like the TEDx community to take away from this, it's hope. It's, yeah, there's some more dark days to come, but there truly is light at the end of the tunnel, and we will have survived and gotten through the most difficult, disruptive, surely, you know, 
global traumatic event of our lives. I kind of hoped that this, would, this was, you know, the, the big one. And that means that we're all walking away more resilient by definition because we got through it. And you get through difficult things, it does make you more resilient because if you've survived this, I mean, the next time somebody says to you, um, oh, no, uh, you, you can't see your friends for a week because you have the flu, and you'll be like, the flu? That's it? For a week? <laughs> really? Nothing. I can do that easily. There's so many things that we'll, we'll be able to shake off after we've been through this. So there's resilience there, but there's also hope. And, and, I, and I really want people to walk away with hope that there is, the spring is coming. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Light, life will come back and it's up to us to reform it in a style and in a way that really is even better than what it was before for us as much as we can. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I, w- I would just add to that on top of it is, uh, for me, more appreciation for the things that we have, which I hope stays around for a while. I was thinking before we got on this call that I remember we, you, you and I grabbed coffee and I was just thinking, wow, at the time, I never really appreciated how nice it is to be able to go out and have I coffee know, right? with somebody. And I hope that really is something that I'm able to preserve uh, and cherish on top of the things you've mentioned, resilience and hope. And Guy, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. I think you've said so many interesting things that TEDx organizers will take with them and hopefully back to their communities. And uh, we always appreciate your support. And I always appreciate both TEDx and the TEDx community. So thank you, all the listeners, and thank you for the for that community. For A, I'm a part of that community, and I owe a lot to that community, and I'm just very grateful to that community. So it's my pleasure. Wonderful. Thank you, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Solving for X. Let's continue the conversation on the TEDx Hub where you'll find additional resources on this topic. And when you're there, you can also share your insights or ask questions. This episode was produced with love by Bianca de Jesus, recorded by Taylor Stemley, and edited by Mickey Capper. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And of course, on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X, and we'll see you next time.